Well, we're continuing our uh, Love 16 series, Love 16, and uh, that comes from uh, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 13. Really, verse 4 through 8 is what we're uh, honing in on, but uh, you could read the whole chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, I'll, I'll read the first part real quick, and then uh, we'll continue from there. Though I speak with the tongues of men, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, and of angels, and have not charity, King James says, or uh, love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. The most amazing statement by the Holy Spirit through Paul saying that I could have all knowledge, I could understand all mysteries, I could give all that I have to the poor, and it could end up being worthless. Boy, that, that's discouraging. <laughs> but it's not when you realize that if you do it with love, it actually amounts to something. But we've all probably uh, been around long enough to see people do something for selfish motives. And it looks really good, and it's a good thing to do. But they're not doing it really as an act of giving. Uh, they're doing it to receive praise from men. But without love, it, it amounts to nothing. Now, I want to, hopefully this week I'll be able to, uh, I'm going to try to get, uh, Pastor Mark Hankins has a new book, it's really a pamphlet out on love, that I'm going to try and get about 100 of them shipped here this week so I can give, give you some next week. Um, but it's, uh, it's maybe a little bit smaller than Drummond's book. And it's definitely more modern language than Drummond's book. <laughs> so if you've looked Drummond's book up online, Henry Drummond on love, it's a wonderful book, but uh, you think reading the King James Bible is hard. Wait till you, uh, <clears throat> wait till you grab hold of this. In fact, I was uh, at um, my wife's parents this week, and uh, somehow we were talking about something, and this, this book came up, and he's like, man, I, uh, the second half of that book, I still don't quite understand. <laughs> Well, a lot of it is because um, it has uh, some older words, and we don't say stuff like that. But I've, uh, in high school, I did not like uh, English class. In fact, it was my most unfavorite class. And so I feel like the Lord has a sense of humor, because as I have aged, I didn't like to write, and I didn't really like to read much. And now I love to write and I love to read and uh, I love looking at languages and uh, it's amazing the power of your words. T.L. Osborne used to say, he said, learn the verbs. He said, learn verbs because they will change your life. When you're ministering to people, learn verbs. Anyhow, separate subject. So just read a couple of little excerpts from this, this book right here. Henry Drummond said, We've become accustomed to be told that the greatest thing in the religious world is faith. That great word has been the keynote for centuries of popular, popular religion, and we have easily learned to look upon it as the greatest thing in the world. 
Well, we're wrong. If we have been told that, we may miss the mark. In the first uh, 13 chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul takes us to Christianity at its source. The greatest of these is love. It's not an oversight. Paul was speaking of faith uh, just a moment before. He says, if I have all faith that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Remember, we just read that. So far from forgetting, he deliberately contrasts them. Now abides faith, hope, and love. Without a moment's hesitation, the decision falls. The greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. He says, you see a beautiful tenderness growing and ripening in Paul, because basically I'm paraphrasing him now. Love did not come like natural to Paul from his natural side. I mean, he was right there consenting to Stephen's death. Uh, many, many people believe like he's the one watching the clothes, you know, while they're stoning him to death. So God is love, and love is the fulfilling of the law. So today let's turn over to Romans chapter uh, 13. Romans chapter 13. And we're going to look at verse 8 through 10. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10. Owe no man anything but to love one another. This is verse 8. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. A lot of times people want to say, like, we need to have the Ten Commandments up here. We need to have Ten Commandments there. And that's all good. In fact, the world could do really well if they would just abide by the Ten Commandments. But you know, uh, as a New Covenant believer, as a Christian, we have but one law. And it is the law of love. And Paul tells us in Romans right here that, you know, if you love, you will not commit adultery. If you love, you will not steal. If you love, you'll not tell a lie. If you love, you'll not covet. And, uh, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself fulfills all of the law and all of the prophets. So we have one law. So I think the Lord looked at us and said, they probably need something pretty simple. <laughs> I don't want to make it too complicated. So I'm going to give you one thing to do. <laughs> and that's love me and love your neighbor. The one law of the believer is the law of love. Well, he said in the word, he said, you know, if you walk in my commandments and keep my statutes, I will take sickness away from the midst of you and the number of your days I will fulfill. Whoa. He'll fulfill the number of our days. And he'll take sickness away from the midst of us. Well, that means that the will of God for you and for me, for every believer, and really every non-believer, if they would just accept Christ, is that we live uh, a long, healthy life, sickness away from the midst of us, the number of our days he will fulfill. He talks in other passages about man's days shall be 120. So, if we don't walk in love, we get on the devil's territory. 
See, as a believer, the devil does not have a right to dominate you. Because he's been defeated in Christ. Colossians chapter 2. Christ defeated him and made a show of him openly, a public spectacle of him, triumphing over him in it. What is the it? In his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So the devil does not have the right to dominate the believer who lives in Christ. But yet sometimes as believers, we may find ourselves with the devil dominating us. That, does that mean that the Bible is a lie? No, it means the Bible's true. Because in Christ, we have authority over the devil. And we dominate the devil. But what happens is, when we get out of love, we're not obeying the command that God gave. Why did he give that command? Well, it's not a matter of um, you have to do right things, and if you do right things, then I'll treat you well. No, when you walk in love... You're walking in God, for God is love. So if you're going to walk uh, outside of love, you're walking outside of God. In other words, you're living your life outside of God. So God, for God so loved the world that he gave. Well, if he so loves the world, then why does he allow uh, babies to be aborted? Then why does he allow storms to destroy? Then why does he allow people to murder? Right? These questions come in, into people. Well, those people have not received the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, says that God has reconciled the world to favor with himself through Jesus Christ. That's speaking of the entire world. So that the worst sinner you could think of, I, like, I always like to use ISIS because they're pretty graphic, you know. Well, they've been reconciled to God. But if they don't accept Jesus Christ, they'll go to hell. Even being reconciled to God. Why? Because you must receive. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. Why? Well, because Adam and Eve sinned and then death came into the world. Or sin came to the world and death by sin, Romans says. And so when that happened... Man became spiritually separated from God or spiritually dead. And so this is the reason that it doesn't matter how many good things you do. Those good things will not get you to heaven. Jesus even said, I think one of the most profound statements he made. They said to him, good teacher. And boy, he rebuked them. He said, don't call me good. There is none good but God. Jesus said that. He's saying, like, all the goodness you see in me actually comes from him. So it doesn't matter how many good things you do, and you should do good things. But those good things are to be an outgrowth of your inward life in God, not a way to get access to God. Or favor with God. Because like we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, or maybe 2 Corinthians chapter 5 rather. Let me switch over there real quick. It 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ. I love King, uh, Amplified Bible says that God was personally present in Christ, reconciling the world unto favor with himself. That God has put the whole world right with himself through Jesus Christ. In other words, he did everything that needs to be done. So all we have to do is we just say, oh, I believe that. I'll take that. And that instant when we confess Jesus is Lord, that instant, not because of any works we did, except for yielding our heart to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to live and come on the inside of us by saying, okay, I'm not going to be selfish I'm not doing this myself. I need you. In other words, Jesus is Lord. When I say Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart, not my head, but my heart, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Not you might be saved. You are saved after that moment, once you confess it. Just like anything else, you must confess it first. In other words, Father God, or God, if, you, if you're not your father yet, God, I believe you raised Christ from the dead, and I confess and declare Jesus is my Lord. That moment, you're recreated in Christ Jesus. You can't wait for the feeling and then do it. You do it, then the feeling comes. Because why does the feeling come? Feelings, well, feelings don't always come. But you'll notice a change. Something's different. Most of the time people say, man, that's like a load was just lifted off me. And what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. You're used to living out of the natural, so it's foreign to you because you're used to thinking, reasoning, understanding from the head. A new life came on the inside of you. And when that new life came on the inside of you, it begins to produce after its own kind. And so now you're what the verse right before that says, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all has become new. So I don't want to, I went down a little rabbit trail. I don't want to get too far off that. But I will just say, the reason that all these bad things happen is because God is not really in control of the earth because when he created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion and authority. It says he created all the world and everything in it, the fullness thereof for his man, Adam. And he said, I give you dominion. You take dominion. Well, Adam, you, you know, gave that authority up to the devil. That's why Ephesians says Satan is the god of this world or this world system. So basically how Dad Hagen used to describe it to us, and I think it's a great way to think of it, is God, gave at, God still owns the earth and the fullness thereof, but he gave Adam a lease. When that lease runs up, Satan's time is out because Satan is operating under the authority that he was given by Adam, and Adam was operating under the authority he was given by God. So this is why it doesn't matter how self-disciplined you might think you are, how many good things you think you can do. You could live your whole life like that. Like Mother Teresa, if she never accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, she would be uh, apart from God right now in hell. 
I believe she did accept Christ, you know, and, and confess him as Lord. But if she didn't, it doesn't, you know, because people kind of put her up as like the prime example of uh, self-sacrificial love, right? And, uh, but if she didn't, then she's not part of the family of God. If I didn't, I'm not part of the family of God. You could be a preacher. You could be a Bible teacher. It doesn't really matter because uh, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whoever shall do enough good things. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, what we read just to begin with. If, if uh, you gave 90%, instead of like tithing 10%, if you say, well, I'm just going to tithe 90%. I'm going to live on 10. Well, you better watch out because you're getting in line with the laws of giving and receiving. You'll be very blessed. But that will not get you to heaven. It's confessing Jesus as Lord. The guy that designed Caterpillar, was it Caterpillar. J.R. Letourneau, he did that. He said, Lord, if you'll bless me, he said, I'll give 90%. So uh, he started giving 90% of his income, and uh, the Lord gave me these ideas for these earth movers. You know, they're long machines like that, and they have this track in the middle that pulls up the earth, and they can lower whole areas. I think he got that in a dream. I can't remember. He got it from the Lord. And the Lord blessed him and blessed him and blessed him. Why? Well, he's given 90% of his income. Pastor Mark Hankins said, I'd rather have 90% um, uh, of a million. You're laughing at me. <laughs> he said, I'd rather have 90% of a million than 10% of 50,000 any day. <laughs> In other words, the Lord will increase you more and more. So Romans chapter 12, uh, 13 rather, verse 8 says, Owe no man anything that to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. So when we love, we fulfill the law, and then we're on God's territory. We're where he can bless us. Wigglesworth used to say, seems like God will pass over a million people just to get to one person who's acting in faith. Why is that? Because faith is acting on the word. Well, what's that mean? Well, if you're acting on the word, you're doing what Jesus did. Jesus said, all I do is act on the word. That's my paraphrase. If you want to read it in King James, he said, I only do what I see my father do, and I only say what I see my father do. And I think one other place I say what I hear him say. So Jesus was totally sold out. So whatever God said, he did. That's an act of faith. Jesus was faith man. Right? Da -da -da. <laughs> So when you act on the word, you're acting in faith. And God watches over his word to perform it. Can you see why so many times in our own lives, we're praying and asking the Lord, Lord, I need you to intervene. I need you to get involved in my marriage. I need you to get involved with my children. I need you to get involved with my finance. But yet, we're not doing what the word says. So your prayer life, when your prayer life works for you, is when it's based and built out of the Word of God. I mean, remember Jesus said in John chapter 15 uh, or 14, he said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask, listen to this. This, this part's not even in my notes. I, I love this though. You'll ask what? Ever you want, 
and it will be done. Jesus said to you, you can ask whatever you want, it'll be done. <laughs> if you abide in me and my words abide in you, what does that mean? If you live in me and my words find life in you. How do the words find life in you? That means, well, if you, if you saw like a little uh, puppy or something like that, and it had been hit by a car but not, not uh, smashed, you'd be like, it could be dead. It would have no life in it. It's not moving around. It's not like trying to lick you and jump on you and do all the things little puppies do. But if it was normal and healthy and hadn't been in an accident, you'd say, boy, that puppy has a, a lot of life. Well, I wonder if people would look at you or look at me and say, man, the Lord has a lot of life in them. They got a lot of life of God operating in them. Well, the life of God is in us. But you know, even as a believer, you never lose your dominion. Like God's not forcing you to let his life or his love be active in you, flowing through you, be animated in you. Like, we're all actually little Christs. You are the body of Christ, Paul said. But many times as believers, you wouldn't know that that's a believer. Because the most outstanding characteristic of a believer is one that denies themselves for the sake of someone else. Or like Weiss translation said, loves. A love that impels one. In other words, it's, that love is just pushing you like this to deny yourself for the sake of the one that you love. For the sake of the one that that love is directed to. Well, look at Jesus. What an example. And God, the Father. It in the love of God that is God impelled God to deny himself, his son, for the sake of mankind. Because of love. So many people uh, get in fear to approach God. Because they don't know love. Agape love. The love of God. Because they think, well, God's just trying to use me. Or God's out to get me. Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, that is the love of God. It is patient. It is kind. It is not self-centered. God's not trying to puff himself up. Some people think, well, if I just praise the Lord enough, you know, he needs to be like uh, puffed up and built up enough so that he'll do something for me. No. What praise and worship does is it, it's, it isolates the other parts of our being so that on our spirit, uh, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Then when we say, Father, I praise you. I honor you. I magnify you. Oh, you're worthy of all of the glory. It is because of you and you alone that I even have life. In other words, I, you start to express with your tongue the, what's in your heart concerning God. Your faith. Remember, faith itself I love that definition of faith in that 10-volume dictionary, right? It says that faith, one aspect of faith is turning away 
from anxiety, self-confidence, and what the world could give you, and turning to God. Praise is the highest type of prayer, somebody said. So when you actually praise, you're actually declaring, God, you're bigger than this situation. Like we were talking in the, in the time of worshiping the Lord with our giving. That sometimes, you know, you just, you just need to give something as an act of worship because it gets you beyond the power of that over you. Well, it's the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name or making confession to his name, Hebrews says. So when we say, Father, you are worthy, I'm declaring you are more worthy of my admiration, of my time, of my attention, of my focus than this problem is. Than how the devil's working in someone else. Love thinks no evil. You don't have any business as a believer allowing your mind to think that. Love doesn't say love does no evil, but love doesn't even think evil. Whew. Well, if you've ever had that challenge come your way, of course, preaching the message, you have lots of challenges like what you're teaching on because the devil tries to put pressure and exerts that pressure on you to see, do you actually believe what you say you believe? Let me see. Let me see. I'll bet you don't believe it. Oh, no, I believe it. Love thinks no evil doesn't suppose, doesn't deliberate, doesn't count it up. Like, well, I know, I know they did this because of this, or I know they should be doing this. Uh, you know, evil there. Well, the first part of the definition was that they something they should be that they're not. I should reread that real quick. It was so good. Uh, reckons not evil. Love reckons not evil. The ninth thing that he lists about love uh, in verse... Uh, Verse 2. Uh, reckons is to deliberate and so to suppose or account. Signifies to think upon a matter by way of taking account of its character. This is reckons, not evil. That's just a reckons. And then the evil is, the first part of the definition of evil, which is the Greek word kakos, is lack in a person or thing of those qualities which should be possessed. Well, God created mankind in his likeness and in his image. So man uh, was created good, not evil. So love does not count up or suppose or deliberate about things, qualities which people should have and should possess, but they don't. So love's not thinking about all of that. Love does not even allow the thought to remain. You cannot stop thoughts from coming. Thoughts will come, but you don't have to allow them to take up space. No, you know, make themselves at home. We're to, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, don't let those thoughts live in you. Let his thoughts live in you, which are his words. I mean, you can think the thoughts of God. That will blow your mind. Romans chapter 12 says that. Have your mind blown. Be transformed. Greek metamorphosis, it's not the metamorphosis, but it's the same root, root word, like a metamorphosis. So be as changed as a caterpillar to a butterfly by letting the word of God blow your mind. Right? Your, your mind can be changed. If you're stubborn, that's really good to hear. <laughs> 
Love thinks no evil. Well, you say, amen, right? And then you go home and you're kind of like, you know, I know they, oh, wait a second. See, that'll come back to you now. (laughs) If you ever make the mistake of listening to the word of God with your heart, you're done. Your life is over. Because God's words are full of life and full of power, and they will change you. And you might not realize it even at that exact instant, but you'll look back and you'll say, who was I? And you'll just be amazed at the grace of God, that God would love someone like you Like, we are so aware of our faults. We should just be more aware of Jesus' successes than we are our faults. And just say, you know what? I I come by the blood of Jesus. That what the blood of Jesus conquered and what the blood of Jesus defeated and what the blood of Jesus gave me access to is all mine. And it's all because of him and none because of me. To be loved like that. Is that song, can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. (laughs) I love that song. Love works no ill to his neighbor because love is the fulfilling of the law. It's a love that impels you to deny yourself for the sake of the one that you love. That means love in a marriage sacrifices for the other person. Love thinks the best. Let me, let me read you, uh, many people, their favorite translation is uh, the Hayford translation. And so it's Jack Hayford has a Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible. It's actually the first Bible I got after I was filled with the Holy Spirit because it was so new to me I didn't understand all that. It's a really good Bible because they have like little points on everything and uh, different things of how we believe and it explains a, a lot of different things. And he's the main editor, but there's many contributors. Hayford says, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, Love suffers long having patience with imperfect people. Well, that's almost like love thinks no evil. I suppose you should have known better. Well, all people are imperfect. So love suffers long having patience with imperfect people. That's the Greek word, I think, makrothemia, patience. And it always has to do with people, never with things or circumstances. So in other words, it's not really about the line at the supermarket. It's having patience with the person who caused the line to form. Who's new and doesn't know what they're doing. Love suffers long. You know what? You could be the one person in the line of 15 people that actually loves that person when everyone else is despising them. You think how Jesus stood out? There were many teachers in his day, but no one taught like he did with authority and with love. Why? He taught by faith, and faith works by love. Love suffers long, having patience with imperfect people. Love is kind and active in doing good. Love does not envy, since it is non-possessive and non-competitive. 
It actually wants others to get ahead. Hence, it does not parade itself. Hey, look at me. You see what I did? You ever been, you ever been around somebody where uh, they're a believer, all right, but they're very proud of their prayer life? Or they're very proud of their relationship with the Lord? And it, it actually stinks. Now, you should, uh, in a sense, you can be proud in a good way, and in a sense, you can never be proud in a good way. Uh, pride looks to self. But when you realize, I am so thankful that God would have that kind of relationship with me, <clears throat> that he allows me to speak with him, that when I read his word, he shows me things, how much he loves me. Like he actually, he, he actually gives me light and understanding. Not because I'm so studious, but because of who he is. This is love. Jesus said this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So love, you're denying yourself for the sake of the one that you love. So lo love is not, never into what you can do for me. And so when you're in an argument with your husband or wife or son or daughter or friend, and you want to make your point, thank you. Perfect love casts out all fear. Fear of rejection, because you get not like a, 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 an intense discussion, let's call it, a detailed discussion. Well, what happens? Well, you still have flesh. I still have flesh. And if it's like a, a sensitive subject, well, you really have to tap into the love of God because what you want to do is defend yourself, make your point, be heard, but love would defer to the other person first. And say, I, I say, Melody, you go ahead. I shouldn't have spoke that quickly. Forgive me. Soft answer turns away wrath. So instead of adding fuel to the fire, if you just think no evil for that moment and you say, okay, I, even if you just think about your past, well, there's been so many times I've misunderstood their communication before, so I'm probably doing that now. Love thinks the best. So I'm just going to assume the best, and I'm going to defer to them. I want to hear what they have to say. And then after a reasonable amount of time, you say, okay, now I'd like, and actually listen with your heart. You say, okay, I, I would like to say something as well. But kind of like this. Not like, okay, I'm going to talk now. Right? That's, everybody, well, we all want to do that. <laughs> I'm going to beat in this argument. I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to prove that you did what you did was wrong. That's not the heart of love. But that is the heart of fear. But perfect love casts out all fear. Why? What are you afraid of? Being exposed? You're afraid of, like, Finding out 
They actually don't like me. They don't love me. They don't want to be around me. All of these natural fears that come, perfect love casts out all fears. So you're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to yield to those thoughts. I'm not going to yield to that fear. I'm going to cast it out. Well, what did you want to say? This got too heated. But let's just, please forgive me. I, want, I really want to hear what you have to say, Dave. Right? And then, like I said, after a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> but you might find after you actually listen that your response is mellowed and changed. Praise the Lord. We're talking about relationships. Oh, I didn't finish. How do you overcome that fear of rejection? You realize that he loves you. God loves you. Well, if you really realize that God loves you and you accept that love, if the relationship that you're having challenges with actually is trying to, like, uh, stab you, boy, it sure dulls that stabbing because you, you know he loves me. Yeah, but God loves me. And God loves you. Jesus, there's a wonderful prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. And at the end of that prayer, at the close of that prayer, he said, Father, I pray that they would know. Those actually that would come later. He even talks about, that's talking of us. That they would know that you love them as you have loved me. In other words, how can you deny yourself uh, in marriage, with your children, work relationships, other relationships, and allow someone else, just, you know, you just soft answer, turns away the bath and say, please forgive me, I, I really want to hear. Because you know he loves you. But if you don't know that he loves you, and you've not let his love live on the inside of you, you're going to have a real challenge in that area. Because you're insecure. If you want to find the most secure person, find someone that knows the love that God has for them, that recognizes how much God loves them. It's the key to freedom. It doesn't matter if they reject your proposal. I mean, you kind of like it, but that's not first and foremost. First and foremost is God loves me. Look at how God loves me. It takes out competition from like uh, spiritual things that you're trying to be more spiritual than other people, have a better. No, no, no. No one has a corner on a relationship with God. He loves you just like he loves Jesus. He brought you into the family just like Jesus. You're a son of God just like Jesus. Now, we are not Jesus and Jesus is Lord of all. You understand that? But we are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and we have been brought into his family as a son and a daughter of God. Jesus is our Lord, but God is our Father. Well, God is perfect, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. How much ability does God have to love you? Hallelujah. Father, we come to you in the name of, which is above every name, in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your love, your 
wonderful, overwhelming love that you have for us and toward us. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can know that love, the height, the width, the breadth, the depth that passes our natural understanding. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we would allow you to live within us, allow Christ to live in our hearts by faith, that we being rooted and grounded, having our foundation upon that love, that we would understand, comprehend the love that passes human knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of you. Father, I thank you that your love constrains us, that we can love the unlovable with your love, with your ability, with your strength. 